Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Do you love traveling on a budget? Me too. And that's why I was so excited to chat with today's guest. Now, I get that it's a weird time to talk about travel, but keep in mind, we're not going to be quarantined forever. This is hopefully just a temporary thing. I mean, of course, it's a temporary thing. It's not going to last forever. So when the travel gates open back up, my friend, if you take all of Danielle's tips from today, you are going to be in a great place to find a killer deal and go on potentially your dream vacation. So I really need you to like listen up and take notes and pay attention to this because all of these tips are good for international travel and a lot of it is for domestic travel as well. So I'm super stoked to share with you all of the lessons that I learned from this as well at the end of the episode. But let's dive into my favorite segment, which is sharing your hashtag money wins. Today's money win is a great one. It comes from Amanda in the private Facebook group, Manage Your Money Like a Boss, which I highly encourage you to hang out. There's lots of money nerds in there. We all just talk about money and, you know, like all the life stuff around money. I mean, let's be real. (laughs) That's what we do all the time. So Amanda's money win, Amanda says, I did some spring cleaning around the house and found my old iPhone 5 and some books I was done reading. I sold them on OfferUp and made $55. Hashtag money win. Amanda, you are such a rock star. Congrats on taking the initiative and just listing some of your old stuff. That's one of the best things to do. And I love that you used OfferUp. I actually haven't used much of that myself. I usually use Facebook Marketplace, but I'm so glad to see that that worked for you and that you are... $55 richer and a little bit more decluttered. That's super awesome. So congrats to you and your money win. Okay, I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest, Danielle Desir. She's an author, podcaster, and founder of The Thought Card, an award-winning affordable travel finance blog, and even a podcast that empowers financially savvy travelers to make informed financial decisions. She helps people travel more, pay off debt, and build wealth. I think we can all agree we want maybe all of those things and all at once and delivered if you don't mind. Anyway, Danielle paid off $63,000 of student loan debt in just four years. She purchased her first home at age 27. She's traveled to 27 countries, four continents, and she did all of this while maintaining a full-time job. Yeah, right? I know. When I first heard that, I was like, get out of town. That's so cool. She strongly believes in not letting your financial responsibilities hold you back from pursuing your dreams. In this episode, we dive into a lot of different things. We talk about how Danielle prioritized paying off debt and traveling at the same time. It's kind of a tough thing to do for a lot of people. She gives a word of caution for anyone interested in travel hacking. I think this is killer advice. She talks about paying off that $63,000 of debt and more importantly, how it affected her emotionally. Danielle was also kind enough to share some of her best resources for finding really great travel deals. We talk about overcoming fears of international travel. I know the first time I traveled internationally, I was scared to death. I seriously was. It was a lot of just fear of what could happen, fear of the unknown, just lots of stuff. So Danielle talks about that, especially with her experience going to over 27 countries. And lastly, Danielle tells us five places you need to visit. So definitely tune in for that part because add these to your your wanderlust list. We are all going to be traveling soon together, my friends. So use this time to prepare your finances. So when quarantine is up, we can go travel the world, maybe even together. Who knows? You never know where we can meet up. 
Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you do, make sure you share it with somebody that you care about. It always means the world to me. And I know it means a lot to Danielle as well, because she's on a mission to help people too. And so it's just a really small thing that you can do that goes a huge and very far away for both of us. All right, let's dive into today's content with our guest, Danielle. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by a listener and a total rock star, Danielle. Thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you, Whitney. Super excited to listening to your show for a really long time, many years. So this is a, a really great moment for me. Thank I you. I'm so honored. And I love your story. I was reading through your bio and just all of the stuff that you're doing. And I was so inspired, my friend. Like you, you paid off $63,000 of debt in four years. You travel literally everywhere. How many countries have you been to now? 27. 27 countries. And you're doing all of this stuff, growing a blog, growing a podcast yourself. You're doing all of this while you have a full-time job. Correct. Yes. What the heck? Okay. So let walk me through this like linear trajectory. Where did you start? Was it debt first and then travel or how did that work for you? It was definitely debt first and then travel. But it's interesting enough because for me, I've always been a multi-passionate person and multi-faceted saver. So I always wanted to tackle more than one thing at the time at the same time. Because I said I don't want to delay gratification of traveling, even if it's a couple times, one or two times a year, while I'm paying off this debt, who which who knows how long it's gonna take. So for me, I was trying my best to do it at the same time. Obviously, when you do two things at the same time, you might not be able to go hundred percent and do it faster, as fast as you want to. But for me, that was okay. So I made a decision to just try to tackle both of them at the same time. Okay, so you were facing sixty three thousand. Was it all student debt? It was all student loan debt. Twenty thousand was from undergrad, and forty forty three thousand was from grad school. Gotcha. What did you study in grad school? I studied healthcare administration. Interesting. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor, but I got my bachelor's in finance because my mom said, you know what? Like, just in case if things don't work out, you want to be a doctor that has, you know, money, business making skills, right? So I said, okay, mom, fine. I was the only person studying pre-med and doing the science track that was also doing business. And um, by the time I, like, I was done with college, I wasn't really sure that medicine was for me, but I already had fallen in love with healthcare administration. So it just made sense to just do the admin piece without focusing on the science anymore. Got it. Okay. That makes perfect sense. I'm definitely going to dive into talking about balancing travel, paying off debt, all of that kind of stuff. But I'm personally curious, what was money talked about when you were a kid? I know you, you mentioned on your podcast, you didn't come from a place of like extreme privilege or you're not a trust fund baby or anything like that. So what was money like when you were growing up? Yes. So I grew up in a single family household and I was lucky enough that my mom was financial literate, so she really talked to me about money all the time. Saving was a very big part of our conversation and our lifestyle. But again, since I was a single family household, like money was limited, money was tight, but my mom was very creative in how she made it work. When I was 15, she helped me open up my first retirement account. So I started you know, saving for retirement since I was 15. She walked me through the whole CD process because back then Wachovia had these like crazy CD rates. So that's how I started with uh, saving for CDs. And then eventually I started opening up my own um, investment accounts on my own as well. So I had a really good background in terms of saving and starting with investing fundamentals, but I made a lot of mistakes along the way. 
place. So just because you have a background doesn't mean that you don't, you know, stumble and fall sometimes. Yeah, I feel that for sure. What were some of the mistakes in hindsight that you see you could have prevented? Yeah, definitely getting into a lot of debt in early on, not too much in, not too much in undergrad, but definitely as I was pushing towards grad school, I was trying my best to supplement my lifestyle with having a credit card and also getting into the credit card hacking game at the time as well. I was really interested in that, but it's easy to fall, fall down if you don't have the right systems in place. So uh, that was one of the things that I struggled with early on. Oh my God. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I see so many people that might currently struggle with some credit card debt and they are on the journey to paying it off and they're immediately hearing all the travel hacking stories and they're like, oh my God, I could do this. But you're saying maybe be a little cautious there. What? So tell me about how that can go wrong. Like, What are some of the situations that you personally see with travel hacking? Yeah. So a lot of times I see that people don't have enough savings. For example, if you want to go on vacation, you're putting on your credit card, you're like, great, I, I'm charging my credit card, but you don't have the savings to back it up. And then you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to go on this monthly uh, payment plan and I'll pay you know, more than the minimum payment. That's great. But you don't realize that your balance is growing and accruing because of the interest. So you just kind of end up in this vicious cycle, um, not having enough savings. So now I, I do my best to treat my credit card like a debit card. So after I make a purchase or make a spend at the end of the week, I try to pay it off as quickly as possible. So I'm not at the end of the month struggling, like, where am I going to get this money? I love that. Did you ever experience any, any times with credit cards where you're like, Ooh, I feel like I might be in a little over my head. Oh yes. A lot, especially <laughs> in the beginning. Cause I, I was definitely in the credit card, like just heavy in the credit card uh, game, trying to understand how to make it all work, opening all these credit cards, all these fees are hitting you. Um, so if you don't have a system, even if it's like pen and paper or Excel, it's easy to get lost in the sauce sauce there. So I think over time, I've definitely backed away from credit card hacking a little bit, um, but, but it's definitely something to be aware of before you dive deep in that. I'm with you. Okay. So you were paying off your $63,000 of debt. Talk to me about the emotional side of that. I know numerically it makes sense, you know, you're sacrificing, you're hustling, but emotionally, what was that process like? Emotionally, it was very, very hard because I was dating someone at the time who wasn't on board for me to pay off this debt. So my story is that uh, my boyfriend at the time was living in New York City and he's like, come on, live down in New York City with me and, you know, so that we could, you know, have a millennial lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, but if I don't do this and I forgo this experience, I will be able to get us in a better position. So for me, I'm looking at it at a holistic macro view. Like, let me make the sacrifices now so that in the future we could be debt free while he was looking at it like, let's just live life now. So that was really hard, emotionally draining to make that decision. And it definitely had a negative detriment to our relationship. But I'm really happy at the end of the day because I made the I made the best decision for myself. Um, so that was one piece. And then the second piece is at the time when I first started my journey, I didn't even I wasn't even making sixty three thousand dollars. So it's like mm. my salary is so much lower compared to this debt. So it just looks it looks huge. So really keeping keeping an eye on the prize and not getting discouraged by the dollar amount was was something that I had to learn and grow through. How did you balance contributing to retirement accounts during that time too? Were you still contributing? Did you push pause? How, how did you view that? 
Yes. So I definitely continued contributing, but I definitely scaled it back and it was through my employer. So I have a 413B at work. So it would just be automatically deducted from my paycheck, but it's nowhere near what I would do if I was like out of debt for sure. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So you're trying to pay off debt. You don't have a super supportive partner. He's uh, maybe, maybe holding you back in some ways from that perspective. How did you, how did you still move forward with that? I think a lot of people would stop and say, God, maybe they're right. Maybe they know something I don't know, or maybe they're, you know, have a different view and maybe it, I mean, 63,000 sure, but it's probably a low interest rate. I can just keep it around. How did you like reprogram your mind to say, screw you, man, I'm going to do me and I'm going to keep moving forward. How did you do that? Yes, I decided, I think the biggest motivating factor for me was figuring out how much interest I owed per day. Because mm. 63000 is like, ah, 63000 that's a lot, right? But then I was like, how much am I paying this student loan lender per day? And I figured out it was $10.10 per day, wow. which for me is like, it's still mind boggling. And it got me so angry. The fact that I signed over, you know, so much debt to myself. And I didn't even know at the time what I was doing really. I just knew I needed education, but I didn't know, I didn't know what that meant at the end of the day. So 1010 was really jarring. So I said to myself, okay, if I need to get ahead of this debt, I need to pay more than 1010 at least at a minimum to pay more than 1010. So I think getting angry and getting emotional about the debt that I accumulated definitely like lit a fire in me and that kept me motivated and I used that as a tracker. So every month when I would check in with my balances, I would see my 1010 go down to 910 and 810. So that really helped to keep me motivated and inspired. That's awesome. Are you comfortable sharing what was your salary like roughly range-wise when you first started your debt journey? I would say around 45,000 when I first started. Okay. And living in New York? So I was living at home with my mom because I decided to live oh, at home. God. And Good. I <laughs> I was like, I don't even know. But plenty of people definitely do that in New York City. You know, they have plenty of roommates. But I decided to live at home with my mom. And my mom lives in Connecticut. And our, our commute is about an hour and a half one way. Oh. So that was emotionally draining. So not only do you have a lot of debt, but you have to commute really far. Um, but at the end of the day, having that vigor and having keeping focus on what is your why, that helped me to push past through it for sure. So what was your why? My why is I, I wanted to be able to live a better life after debt because I knew with having debt, I wouldn't be able to do as much because I, I believe my payment required payment was like 800 or $700 per month. And I'm like, whoa, that that's a very substantial amount of change. And if I have to carry this around with me for the next 10 years, like it just didn't make sense to me. It did not make sense. So I said, what can my life look like beyond the debt? And I think having that visualization really helped me to keep focused. How did you compartmentalize that? Because 63000 I can imagine, feels like such a large chunk of debt. Did you break it into like smaller sections? Did you like have a debt thermometer? How did you mentally wrap your mind around that? Yeah. So I made a spreadsheet for myself and I listed out all of my student loan decks. I had about like 10 to 12. They're all smaller debts. And I listed them from large amount to low amount. And I just tried to tackle, I actually tackled the smaller ones first because I'm a quick wins person. So I really need to get a quick win for me to keep staying motivated. So I definitely started off with the small amounts first. That was my, that was my focus. Gotcha. Okay. I love that. So can I play 
like devil's advocate for a sec. Yes. I personally think your story is freaking incredible. And I think the sacrifice of even living at home with your mom, God bless you. I could not do that. <laughs> like I could not do it. But I know a lot of people and it kind of pisses me off that people do this, but they hear that and they immediately are like, oh, disregard. That's not my situation. It doesn't apply to me. What would you say to that person that immediately disregards that? Because I, I, I mean, in my eyes, it's still a huge sacrifice, but I'm curious how, how you approach that with people. Yes, everyone's story will be different, but I think you have to think about what what can you do that doesn't feel like it's too much of a extra amount of burden? For me, I'm an only child. I'm very close with my mom. So even though it was definitely a sacrifice, like definitely leaving at home is a sacrifice, but it wasn't the worst thing, you know? So again, I'm a quick wins person. I try to get rid of the things that are easiest to get rid of first and foremost. So for me, living with my mom made total sense. But if you can't live with your parents, maybe getting roommates, house hacking. I definitely did that when I bought my house. I live with room, two roommates actually for a good year. So there are different ways to cut some of your biggest expenses. I knew for me, housing would be the biggest expense. So that's where I really focused on. Okay. That makes sense. How old were you when you were going through the debt payoff process? Like when did that start? I would say 22 to about 26. So 22 to 27, 26. Just a baby. Mm-hmm. That's so I know. That crazy. But like, I mean, seriously, like think about like how much better your thirties and forties are now because you were willing to just do that crap work in your twenties instead of just like live it up. And you still had a good life. Like you still traveled. Yeah. But man, yes, yes. that's so smart. Yes. And it's so funny. I remember talking to my mom because my mom had student loan debt too. And she was in her forties at the time. I was like, mom, come on, let's do this together and let's stay focused. And she was like, no, no girl, no. So she did not (laughs) want to focus on her debt. And here I am debt free in my early twenties. So everyone has different priorities, but um, definitely it was one of the best things I did. And it really helped set me up financially for the future. I think it's so cool. So did you tie your trips to almost like reward milestones? Is that how you structured it? I tied my trips to getting the best deals. So I am obsessed with cheap flights. And for me, it's all a game. So if I found a good deal, and when I say good deal, it has to be like, this is a no brainer. Like if you're going to Europe for $300, for me, that's so good because you could spend more going to the West Coast or East Coast. So the good deals really inspired me to travel. And that's what I followed. Uh, I I didn't reward myself, but um, it could be something that you could do for sure. But following the deals definitely helped me to uh, to start getting the ball rolling on traveling. When did your love of travel officially begin for you? I would say at a really, really young age because I went to Haiti. My family's from Haiti. And every summer, my mom would send me off to Haiti to live with my grandparents throughout the summer. So I would spend four four months every summer going to Haiti. So I think that my love of travel started there, but you get fatigued after going to the same place over and over. Um, so definitely wanting to see more, more places as I got older. Gotcha. Okay. So what was your first trip? Did you do it? Was it solo travel that you were most yeah. Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Yes. My first big trip was a solo travel trip to Paris. All the croissants and all the yes. good food. Oh my God. Yes. How long were yes. you there? I was there for a week 
And in that trip, I actually went to Brussels as well. So I did a day trip to Brussels. So this was a huge, I, this was huge. Not only was I going to Paris, but I was also going to a second country on top of that. So that was, it was epic. What was the inspiration for Paris? Was that just the good deal that came up and you're like, book it? <laughs> Is that kind of what happened? Yes. So part of it was in undergrad, I wanted to study abroad to go to Paris and learn French. Because as a, as a Haitian household, I, I know Haitian Creole, which comes from French, but I don't know French well. So it's like I could hear, but I can't really communicate well. So I said, I would love to travel to France and do this study abroad program. But it was so expensive at the time. And it was around the Great Recession. So we were losing our home at the time. So I could not tell my mom, I could not say, mom, can you spot me $10,000 as we're losing our house? So I made a, a vow to myself. I said, you know what, when I get my big girl job and I get, you know, my finances are in order, I want to make this trip to Paris happen. So when I got my first job, I saved for over a year and I made it happen. Were you just saving in like a basic savings account or how did yeah. you structure it? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I think I started off with $25, like just saving every pay period and just in a regular, I use Alibank. So just put it in, I still use Alibank now and I just dash it away and that's how I started. That's so cool. Okay. Let's break this down for somebody that wants cheap travel and they want to make this part of their life and not have to just push pause until they're done paying off debt. How do we structure? Do you have like a blueprint or do you have like a step-by-step -step system that you like to follow? Yes. So I would say first step is definitely having a separate bank account, which you could be your travel fund or any vacation fund that you want to have. And that is really important because you're separating and you're prioritizing travel. I always say if my mortgage was lumped on lumped in with my travel fund, I either would always be traveling and nope, not paying my mortgage or vice versa. So having a separate bank account is really critical to getting started and keeping focus. And then I would add in the automation piece. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how much you can afford to put away. Every pay period is for me what I try to stick to because I really want to make sure I'm saving off the top before all the other expenses happen. Um, so having a travel fund, automating your savings, that is, for me, keeps my bank account always plenished and always full so that when I find a good flight deal, I have the funds to go back to and pull from. Got it. Okay. And then, so you've got your savings account set up through um, Alibank and then you're automating like 25 bucks is how you got started. So you just have this like savings account that's banked up. And then when you find a good deal, you just jump on it. Is that kind of how you view it? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I do. Got it. How do you find your, your flight deals? Yeah. So I actually have a bunch of websites and there are two different models. So the free websites are good. I'm not, they're not bad. They're good, but they're not going to send you more deals. So the one, the premium websites where you have to pay a, a annual membership, they send you way more deals and they might even cater to your airport as well. So there's two different, there's two different models here. So one of my favorite websites is called thrifty traveler premium. And they're incredible. They mostly focus on international flight deals. So I believe the premium payment plan is like $40 a year. But imagine if you get a cheap flight, you get that money back in one sitting. So it just, it's like a no brainer investment for me. So I, I use Dorothy Traveler Premium. I know Scott's Cheap Flights is a very, very popular one that people use. Secret Flying is free as well. Uh, the flight deal is also free. 
There are tons of them. Jetto app is another one. Um, so these are all places that I, and the, what I like about these websites is that they email you daily with the flight deal. So you're not constantly having to search and, you know, invent the wheel. They come to you and they bring you these deals and then you could decide, do I want to book it or not? Got it. Do you find for, I've always been curious about these. I use Scott's cheap flights. That's like my go-to Scott's mom. Yes. Love that guy. But are they drastically different or are they all pretty similar deals? I think some of the free ones are definitely similar, but I found that the paid ones are different. So for example, Thrifty Traveler Premium, they focus a lot on like Delta, Delta Sky Miles sales. So they're the only place that I know to look for if Delta Sky Miles has a has a sale that's not usually published in anywhere else. So that's why I try to definitely keep uh, Thrifty Traveler Premium on hand as a paid service because they usually find things that are not publicly placed anywhere else. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So that helps with with the flight piece. Are you doing hostels when you travel to different countries or how are you keeping the lodging down? I originally started off with hostels, but then Airbnb came out. So Airbnb is definitely, is definitely nice, but it it really, I think it really depends on the kind of trip I'm having. Like for me, I always say there's a difference between a vacation and a trip. Vacation is more for me. I define it as relaxation. I might be lounging around more. So I might want to stay at a resort or a hotel compared to if I am on a trip, I'm out there doing things and I have tours all day. Like lodging won't really be a priority for me. So I might do an Airbnb or I might do a hostel. So I think it really depends on the framing of what kind of experience you want to have when you go away and making sure that your accommodation matches that. That makes some, I'm glad you talked about that. And I wish I would have got that advice before Tony and I went to Japan. We recently did that over uh, Thanksgiving and oh man, like I, I thought in my head, I'm like 31 years old. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like we're going to do like hostel style this time. It'll be great. Thinking it's like going to be more of what I would deem a vacation. And so we booked a capsule hotel and it was a cool experience. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I should have thought this through of do I want a vacation or do I want a trip? That would yes. have been very smart for me to do. Yes. So what is a capsule hotel? I was weird. So it's almost like a hostel, but it's the ones that, I mean, honestly, it kind of looks like a morgue if I'm being real. Okay, it's like okay. all of the different, you have your little bunk and that's about it. So this one, this specific one that we stayed at was bunk beds. And it had a little TV in there and you've got like all of your charging stations and stuff, but that's it. And then you have a curtain that you pull shut. But right, I right, right. learned people for capsule hotels, at least in Japan, they don't view this as like, oh yeah, we're going to go to bed like at a normal hour. It's that's your crash pad. If we're in the middle okay, of the night. Okay. So yeah. all night I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Just kept getting woken <laughs> up. <laughs> but live and learn. Yes, yes, yes. So capsule hotels just they're a thing. It was really very weird. interesting. Very mm-hmm. interesting. So it seemed that you had the expectation of a, of a vacation, but then it happened to be a trip style. Yes, yeah, very much yeah. so, which whatever, it's fine. But um, Japan, I, I mean, Japan is on my list. So I'm sure it was amazing. Been there yet? I have not been to Japan. What? Not yet. Oh, go before not. the Olympics. I'm, I think I'm going to go after I think 2021. Yeah. yeah, I think a little bit after because that makes sense. Yes, yes. I'm inspired. It's a cool place. It really is. I I mean, one word of advice. I don't know your style of travel. I personally wish we would have did a little bit more of the Japanese countryside. 
I think it would have just gave us such a different feel. So we were Kyoto, Osaka, and Tokyo. Well, all of them are amazing. They're all really cool cities, but it would have been nice to just have like a slightly more chill side of the trip too. Yes. Yes. I understand. So that's okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you took this trip to Paris and I have to dive into this because my first solo trip was not internationally. I would have been scared shitless. (laughs) So you dove in full force. What was the thing that was the most intimidating for you for solo travel? Definitely the language barrier, because I I was really nervous about not being able to communicate. And there was a rumor going around that like people in France don't really speak English that, you know, they don't really want to speak English. I was really concerned about the language barrier. But when I got there, people were so helpful. Like I was trying to trying to, you know, speak a little bit of what I knew, but it didn't really matter. They knew that I was a tourist. They knew I needed help. So it was something not to worry about as much. That's cool. How was the public transportation for you? It was, I think I walked a lot, a lot, a lot. lot. Yeah, I think I walked a lot, especially when I was younger. I was really on the frugal side. So I was like, I rather walk instead of take the train and spend the money (laughs) or something like that. So I did walk a lot. I would definitely do more trains now that I got older. I'm like, you know, I I, I don't mind spending that 10 euros on on the on that ride. So it's totally worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. Okay, so I think that's pretty sweet. And then how did you balance all of your travel with your full time job as well? Was that difficult? In the beginning, it wasn't that difficult because I was just really starting out with like one trip a year. So the, when I first started with the Paris trip, it was one week and I was like just taking that one week. But I feel like after France, my eyes started to open and I was like, I want to do this more. But my vacation time is limited. So then I started to be more creative and figure out how can I take advantage of long weekends? And then I figured out that holidays not Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving is okay, but not Christmas, not New Year's, but the holidays can be a really great time to travel cheaply. So just over time, learning and learning how to do more efficient travel with my time has really helped. But in the beginning, I was very humble, like one trip a year. But after seeing like Paris, I was like, okay, I need to ramp this up. I need to see more, more of Europe and more of the world. You got the travel bug. Yes. Yes. It's a very real thing. And then you started to take all these different and really fun trips. So what were like your top five places? If you had to go back or somebody's like, where should I go? What are like those five that you always recommend? Definitely recommend Iceland. I've been there three times and I am in love and blown away by the nature. There's so much adventure. The people are really friendly. The food is delicious, really natural landscape. So definitely recommend Iceland, which is interesting because it's one of the most expensive places in the world. And you would think as a financially savvy traveler, that wouldn't be my top, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's definitely worth it for sure. Uh, Second would be Bermuda. I love Bermuda's chill vibe, pink sand beaches, really good food. It's just amazing. Uh, Three, I actually just got back from China before the whole outbreak, but China really blew me away. So that was a really interesting introduction to Asia and Asian culture. And I love Ireland, too. I try to go back a couple times. Um, I've been there two times already, so I really liked Ireland. And Lisbon, Portugal, too, was cool. That's awesome. Okay, so all of the places that you've mentioned, I haven't been. Really? Swear to God. I'm like, what? (laughs) So this is great for me. Um, Yeah. And all of these you did as a solo traveler? I did Iceland solo travel, Bermuda with my mom, uh, Ireland with friends, 
so a, a mixture of some some solo and some with friends and family. Your recent trip to China, did you go by yourself? I went with my my partner. Awesome. And we did a 10-day tour, which is really interesting because I'm more of a DIY traveler. So I don't usually sign up for group trips, but this particular trip was $299. 10 days, like $299, 10 days, hotels, breakfast, airfare, all of it, all of the things, some activities. And I said to my, I called him up and I was like, Hey, what's going on? Like 299 doesn't sound real, but the Chinese government was subsidizing these trips, really trying to promote tourism. So they were willing to offer the cheap price. So I jumped on that. So crap. Who was that through? Do you remember? Yes, UTO vacation. UTO vacations. That is yes. such a killer deal. Yes. Whoa. Okay. Was the language I've heard that China is a beautiful country, but the language barrier is very steep. Is that the case? Like if you went yeah. there without a tour, would you have felt kind of a little awkward? Yes. I feel like if I went to China for the first time without being on the tour, I would have felt overwhelmed by the language barrier. Um, So pretty much YouTube, Facebook, Google, it's not allowed in China. So they don't have a lot of access to Western, you know, things that we just take, you know, normal for granted here. Um, So that was really interesting. But they do have a lot of people have this app that they use and the app you can speak in the app and it will translate it and also provide the audio as well. So that helped, but I did not have apps. So it would be like a one-way conversation. <laughs> so it was challenging. It was definitely challenging. How, how many days did you say you were there? 10 days, 10 days. Perfect. Okay. What was maybe the more surprising part of China when you got there? Was there an area that you went to that just blew away your expectations? Yes, I would say I went to five cities in in 10 days, which was crazy. Again, this is what group tour, you have to be ready. You have to read the group tour itinerary very well. But I really enjoyed some some other cities that are not like Beijing and Shanghai. They're wonderful, but they're Suzhou, Hanzhou, Wuxi. They're smaller, smaller cities, quote unquote, air quotes, smaller cities with millions of people still. But there was a lot of greenery, a lot of gardens, just a, a more calmer way of life, which I really appreciated and enjoyed. Was the Great Wall worth it? Oh, it was amazing. Yes. It was so, it was so, that was the biggest draw for me to go to China. Like that was, I was like, I I just want to do that one thing. And then I just ended up falling in love, falling in love with it. What, what do you personally gain from travel? Why is this such a part of your life? Like, what is that fulfilling for you? I think the visual, like being able to see different things and being outside of my comfort zone is really thrilling to me. I, whenever I travel, I'm always so gracious and happy that I have the ability to see and have my sight because it's like you can't unsee these things like you see people the way they live and you know the architecture so for me that it just being in a new place is just really it just lights me up and then now that I have a blog I can share that with people so that adds like another layer like I want to travel so I could share with people inspire people to see more of the world as I'm seeing it as well. Yeah, I think that's the cool piece about podcasting and blogging is you got to connect with people and and help them see what's possible for their life through you living your own truth. I think it's such a beautiful way to go. So with your blog, what was the inspiration behind starting that? Was it just to share pictures of your trips or like why, why did you go that route? 
When I first started, it was going to be a lifestyle blog with a hint of travel. Sure. So it was around the time, it was a year after I had gone to Paris and I was planning another trip to Europe. And I was like, I want to just start writing and documenting this. But one of my blog posts happened to be how I was starting to really focus on my student loan debt. And that took off. And a lot of my friends and my inner circles weren't really talking about student loan debt. So I was like, you know what? I'm onto something here. You need money to travel. So why why not talk about what I'm doing with my finances and how I'm being able to afford to travel as well? So I started to merge the two together. And over time, I've just been documenting my journey on both sides. I think that's so cool. And I, I love that you were able to combine these two passions seamlessly. I know sometimes it's really tough in the content creation world to blend the two different passions and make it look cohesive and speak to the niche or whatever you want to call it, the niche. Um, so I think yes. that's really interesting that you were able to do that. You mentioned the blog post kind of taking off and that's where people were starting to resonate. What specifically were they resonating with, do you think, in hindsight now? That blog post was about the five things I think I was doing to help me pay my debt off faster. So I think that they were looking they were looking for ways to improve what they're doing. And for me, that really resonated with me and, and my blogging style and my podcasting style is I'm always looking for ways to improve what you're doing. How do you optimize what you already have? So I think the optimization piece really helped to connect with people. And I said it out loud. I said I had 63,000. People were like, whoa, like they gave them a gauge. Maybe some of them are under, some of them are over. So they felt like they could relate to me in a way, which which is uh, very unique and different. And in my beginning of my blogging journey, people really didn't understand. They were like, why are you talking about money? And you're a, tra- a travel blogger. Like it doesn't, they didn't really understand it. And I'm like, but you need money to travel though. Like it's a very real part of being able to explore the world. So now I definitely think it's more accepted, but in the beginning it was really hard to convince people that this matters. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that too. Whenever I talk about travel, especially cheap travel. That's where my my heart's at right now. People are always like, "Uh, I don't think I'd want to do cheap travel. I'd rather spend heavily on one trip every three years and I'm okay with that. And in my heart, I'm like, oh, that's a terrible way to live. That's a long time. Like, oh, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know, kindred spirits, my friend. But I'm like, oh, how can you? Like, I, I think it's once you start traveling more, you start to realize how impactful it is. And how like yeah. open-minded you become and you just see different ways of life. I To me, I think that's like the biggest cool piece of it all. So I want to talk a little bit about your decision to buy a home. You've got such a busy life where you're constantly on the go and you're traveling and you're growing a business and you're doing all these things. What What were some of the questions that you asked yourself about? Is now the right time to buy a house? Should I buy a house? Like how, how did that thought process go for you? Yes, I think I wish I took a little bit more time to think it through because there were definitely moments after being a homeowner that I was like, shoot, if I would have taken that year off to travel the world, (laughs) you know, so I definitely did not think it through as much. I think for me, my plan was always to pay off my debt, slowly save for a house so that when I'm done paying off my debt and I'm like 25 now, 26, that I can move out and start living my life. I really wanted to go from living at home to owning a home. And where I live in Connecticut, it just makes sense to be a homeowner compared to renting because you're paying about the same. So it was like a no brainer. Um, 
that was my that was my process. But I wish I took a little bit more time to really think through, like, am I ready to make this big, big step? So I'm a, I'm a homeowner for three years now. But the first two years, I was really like, did I really do the right choice? But now I feel like I did the right choice. Like I'm already making I'm, you know, stable. I'm making the payments and stuff like that. But it's something to consider when you are making this big move because it does impact your life. I can't just up and leave as easily as I would like. There's a lot of attachments here. Unfortunately, darn it. Yes. 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 <laughs> I felt the same way too when I when I bought my house. It was one of those things where I'm like, oh, you know, it's nice. But then I started to notice that it does it very subconsciously holds you back in some ways. And you don't even realize it's doing it until you are faced with the decision where someone's like, Oh, let's you should go to Europe for a summer. And you're like, Oh, I can't do that. Like I've got yes. a house, like I've got priority. And so it, it does, it does hold you back. But you you've got roommates now too, right? No, I, I, I'm done with roommates. No more. No more roommates for now. <laughs> Turn of a century. I'm over this. Yes, yes. That's hilarious. And before we officially hit record, you kind of mentioned that you were going down this path of financial independence, potentially retiring early. You're kind of in this this ball game. How did you discover that? I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I'm sure your podcast was in the mix as well, but the Fire Drill podcast really opened me up to people are doing things differently. And I had to find myself in their story and figure out how do I craft my own story with the resources I have. So Fire Drill podcast was definitely very instrumental in that decision. I love that you mentioned that you're listening to these, these people share their story and you're not necessarily saying this isn't me. I'm not going to listen. You're figuring out like, where do I fit into that story? Yes. I think that's huge for the fire community, especially because you're going to hear, I make $300,000 a year and I don't have kids and I'm single and I'm like you know, living in a $700 house. You're like, what, like who can relate to that? But there's little elements in there that we can learn from. So yes. I love that you mentioned that. Yes, it's, it's, it's been a very big, I'm always listening to podcasts and listening to stories and figuring out what, what can I apply? What can I do better? How can I optimize? So that really has led me to this, I would say slow fire. I'm slowly making my way to being financially independent. Yeah, heck yeah. I think that's great. What's your financial independence goal? Is there like an age that you're trying to hit or just a number? What are you thinking? So for phase one, I would say is to pay off my, pay off my mortgage by the time I'm 40. Whoa. And so that's, that's the goal. I'm 29 now. So I have, I have a couple more years to go. So that's, that's phase one. And then phase two would be to retire early. So hopefully before 50 so that I'm figuring out two different phases. How can I make it happen? Will you still be traveling at the same level during that time? I think so. I think so. I feel like travel is such a big part of my life that I, I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't stop. Um, but I do, but for me, I also make travel part of my lifestyle. So it is an expense that I build into my budget. I, I'm not traveling, uh, just because I see a deal and I'm just like, I'm off, you know, I have money saved for this purpose. So that makes me feel okay with my decision to continue traveling because it's budgeted. It's there. It's part of my lifestyle. I love it. Yep. Do you ever get travel burnout? I did get travel burnout when I was taking shorter trips. So with a full-time job, traveling on the weekends, that is really, really hard to do. Uh, and if you are a content creator as well, having all these things that you have to do, that was hard. So 
I'm spacing out my trips and I'm focusing a little bit more on longer term trips. So between five to 10 days is a good amount of time. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. Have you explored much of the U.S. or is it mostly internationally? Mostly internationally and mostly Europe. Those those cheap flights, they just get me. They get me. (laughs) (laughs) I totally feel you. That's one of my goals this year is to do more national trips. But man, when you dive into the numbers... Ah, you can usually go internationally for about the same cost, if not a little less expensive. So it's really hard. Darn. Well, I've had such a good conversation and I could like easily go into every trip that you've ever taken because I personally think it's so fun. But I know we eventually need to start wrapping this up. So tell everybody really quickly about your podcast and your blog and where they can go to find that information. Yes. Well, thank you so much again for having me on today. My blog is called uh, The Thought Card over at thoughtcard.com. And my podcast is the same. It's called The Thought Card. And I really focus on affordable travel. So discovering and spotlighting really interesting destination, as well as paying off debt and building wealth. And I have a brand new book coming out called Affording Travel, which is available on Amazon. And that really shares step-by-step strategies that I've used to make travel financial priority in my life. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. What was that process like writing it? So this is my second book, actually. So it was a lot easier. And I did it during NaNoWriMo in November, where a bunch of writers are just writing for 30 days. And uh, I committed to making it a short book. I did not want to overwhelm myself with 50, 60,000 words. I'm like, I just have something to say. Let me say it. And I always say, if you're a blogger, you have all the existing skills to package your knowledge into a book. So that really kept me focused. I love it. That's so much fun. Okay, my friend, are you down for some rapid fire questions before we wrap up? Yes, let's do it. All right. Okay, my first question for you. You know I'm obsessed with people's morning routines. So what is your current morning routine? Uh, not that good. Jump out of bed at 545, <laughs> run downstairs. Um, not that good. My morning routine is not great. 545? That sounds pretty good. <sighs> I wish it was like nine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. I totally get that. But I do have an evening routine. So I do try to make a short list of things that I want to accomplish the next day. And that keeps me focused. Like one to three things. What are the three things I need to work on? And and I have a direction for the day. Oh, I love that. Okay. Next question for you. What is one purchase you've recently made that has made your life better? One purchase. I would say a fuel tank for my house that uh, when I first bought the house, I saw the fuel tank and it looked fine. And then now it's, it's collapsing. And uh, they said, yeah, I have to change it. So I've been saving slowly for it and now it's done. So again, what was it being a homeowner? But I think having that has been really great. What does a fuel tank cost these days? Oh, it's like $3,500. What? Oh my God. I know. You're like, I just have like a little gas tank out there. Like, <laughs> dang. It's very expensive. It's very expensive. Noted. Okay. (laughs) So for those of you that might need to replace yours, now you know. Okay. Next question for you. This might be a tricky one because you've traveled so much, but where is one location you're dying to travel to? I would love to visit Hawaii. And I know that you've been to Hawaii. You haven't been to Hawaii? I have not been to Hawaii yet. Oh, you should go. You would love it. Yes. I and the hiking and just the nature and the beaches. So I would love to visit Hawaii. Oh, for sure. Okay. We'll have to make that one happen for sure. All right. My last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? 
the secret would be to really understand what your why is and use that as your navigator to keep focus because there will be hard days, there'll be good days, there'll be sad days and having a really strong why will just keep you able to stay focused on what's next. Love it. Danielle, thank you so much for your time and for hanging out and sharing all of your travel tips. It's been truly such a fun conversation and I'm honored to be part of this conversation with you and learn from you. It was really awesome. Thank you, Whitney. Again, like you're an inspiration to me and I'm sure many other people. So thank you again for having me on today. Back at you, my friend. Thank you so much. And we will chat soon. Okay, what'd you think? I love this episode with Danielle. I learned so much from her, but I really loved her advice on prioritizing travel while paying off debt. I think she has a really good point about not letting debt affect you too much. Like, don't let that control your life. Yes, it's serious, but you can still live a little bit. And I think that's really, it's good advice sometimes for the right person. I also really loved her tips on finding the best travel deals. I know that there were a few resources she mentioned that I will definitely be using myself. So I would love to hear from you. Take a screenshot of this. Tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. I know that's annoying. And let me know what specifically stood out to you. And more importantly, tell me where the heck do you want to go? I want to live vicariously through all of you. So make sure you let me know which trips are on your bucket list. And yeah, I'd love to see who's listening in. All right. I will talk to you on Friday for five tip Friday, or I will see you next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye.